Hi, welcome to our sermon podcast here at Cornerstone Anglican Church. We are a new church plant in Chicago's West Loop neighborhood, seeking to participate in God's story of transformation. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Yep, all right, the one um, word I heard there was tired, which I just am finding a repeated pattern of an 8.30 a.m. service. So uh, praise the Lord. Thank you for being here at this early service. Um, and uh, forgive me if you notice that I do have a lisp of, uh, you know, it's feeling a little bit better. I may, I may break into a little bit of a lisp. Today might be too much information, but I got a canker sore on my tongue, so... All right, we'll see if that was too much information. You can tell me afterwards whether I should have said that or not, but let's just jump in in prayer. The Lord be with you. Father in heaven. Abba, we come before you. Lord, we offer ourselves, our tired selves. We offer just our hearts to you, our bodies to you, and we ask, Lord, that you would speak. Jesus, you are our shepherd. You lead us. We are your sheep. Lord, we just say, I'm, I'm a sheep. I need your staff to guide me and to lead me today. So come, Holy Spirit, come and speak individually and intimately to each one of our hearts this morning. For you are our shepherd. Amen. I came across a story this week uh, from the New York Times on February 25th, uh, 1977, in Delray Beach, Florida. Uh, it was a story that talked about, a, is that close to where you're from, Anthony? Oh, really? Well, uh, it's a story that talks about a, a woman who uh, was actually named by her neighbors Garbage Mary. Uh, she had a, a two-bedroom apartment, and she had her own car, but what she would do was she would just dig around in the garbage, in the trash, and she would just find anything and everything and bring it up into her apartment and put it into her car. It was smelly, it was gross, but she was a hoarder. She just hoarded all sorts of things that everyone else thought to be refuse. And at some point, she did something that had the police actually come into her house, and they came into her smelly apartment, and they saw just mountains of trash. But as they were going through her house, they noticed something in the trash. And that was that there were evidence of bank books, of stock securities, of oil drilling rights and land holdings that were in her car and in her apartment that they thought may be worth as much as $1 million dollars. Uh, police identified her as Kathleen Colley, and it turns out she was the daughter of a well-to-do Illinois lawyer who died a few years ago and gave this to her, but she didn't know what she had. And so she never claimed that money for herself. When we come to Psalm 23 this morning, one of the most famous passages in all of the Bible, we see David boasting here. We see David boasting about his shepherd, about his intimate and personal relationship 
with God. He's bragging about his inheritance. And my fear is that when we read this psalm, it can be so easy for us to neglect it like Kathleen did, not seeing it for the treasure that it is. Amen? But this psalm is for you. This is your confidence. David writes, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. See, what, what actually is it that keeps us back from claiming this psalm as our own, from claiming this song as our confident proclamation? I think if we actually look at this, uh, one of the reasons is that we actually look at this psalm, and David really does begin saying, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And, and many of us, I know, we, we did grow up in the church, and, and we grew up hearing this phrase often, that God wants to have a personal relationship with you. And I think, understandably, many of us have actually grown a little weary of that language, Because when we've heard that God wants to have a personal relationship with you, we've also seen that that often has felt like it's neglected, the fact that basically every other psalm doesn't say my, it says our. Basically, the entire New Testament is never saying I, it's saying we, we, we. The reality is that God doesn't just call you, he calls all of us to be a people for himself, that the bride of Jesus Christ is who we belong to, that the church is a community, that we are called into this community. In fact, many of us actually are attracted to this church or even churches like this that celebrate this historic tradition that say not only has Jesus purchased a people for himself from every tribe and tongue and nation that we belong to, but even throughout all time. And so there is a meaningful and mystical way that we belong to holy church That my identity is not myself any longer, but my identity is actually the church, the communion of saints, this historic community that I belong to, that all be presented to Jesus on the last day. Amen? So we feel, when we come to this psalm, like, am I going to take away from this beautiful communal reality that I've come to appreciate? By going back to my shepherd? Is it going to take away from that? It's interesting. A commentator says that actually for the first readers, this psalm challenged them. Because he said that the temptation in ancient Israel was to speak only about our God. In forgetfulness that the God of Israel is also the God of individuals. The contribution of this psalm lies, therefore, in the personal, subjective expression of ancient piety. In other words, David was actually speaking directly to a communal culture and challenging this communal culture in their relationship with God. It's not actually only about our relationship with God, that God actually intimately wants to have a personal relationship with you. That's actually at the very heart of this psalm. As he says, God's covenantal love can be claimed not only corporately by the group, but also personally by each of its members. Yes, we are the church, but we also are individuals. God has made you intimately and uniquely 
You individually are made in the image of God. And God has enough space that He intimately desires to lead you personally. Yes, He is Lord and sovereign over the universe, but He also does want to be your best friend. Oh, that we claim this individual friendship with God that David is modeling for us. Oh, how we need individual friendship with the one who made us. Amen? Another thing that can keep us from from claiming this is, you know, I don't feel as confident as David felt about his relationship with God in my relationship with God right now. This is one of the things that is most common for me when I read the Psalms, is I step into the Psalm and I'm like, wow, this person has a lot of emotion as they're feeling it. Right? We've been talking about this and going through the Psalms that, that the Psalms are, are God's counseling uh, case studies. Right? That, that the Psalms are not God's counseling textbook telling you how to feel or how to work through your feelings. That what it is, is it's actually 150 different moments where different people are experiencing different situations and bringing their emotions to God. So the whole point of this series is actually recognizing that when we're angry, what do we bring to God? Our anger. When we're afraid, we bring him our fear. What we bring to God is actually exactly what we're going through at that moment. And if you feel like I am not feeling as confident as David is right now in my personal relationship with God, I want to tell you, David often didn't feel as confident as he felt in this moment in his relationship with God. David has a lot of moments where all that he has is, where are you, Lord? Why do you feel so far from me? And so we can feel like I can't come to the psalm if I'm not there. But I want to give you a tip for how I read the psalms. Because oftentimes I'm like, man, this guy is so happy and I'm not that happy right now. And oftentimes I read the psalms and I'm like, man, this guy is angry. I'm not that angry right now. But here's how I read this psalm. Sometimes I'm right with David and I can just say, Lord, you have been my shepherd. You are so, so good. Sometimes I read this psalm and I'm like, God, I'm not there right now. I don't feel like you're this close. I don't feel like you're this near. Where are you? Or, Lord, I want that. Would you do to me what you did for David there? I just want to give that, come where you are this morning. You don't have to fake it to be like David. But you can actually use David's words here to bring who you are and what you're feeling to him. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Joshua. All right, what is David boasting about? David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. David is saying, I I shall not want. Just pause there. Since God is my shepherd, I shall not want. I don't don't want. I don't want more authority. I've got authority. I, I shall not want for direction. I've got direction. I've got my shepherd. I shall not want provision. My shepherd knows what I need. My shepherd will provide what he knows I need. 
But here, here's the catch of this, right? We can think of Psalm 23, and it's really nice to think about green pastures and still waters. Praise the Lord. I love those images. But the catch is also, he's also got to shepherd you. The Lord is my shepherd. It's inviting us, who's, who's your shepherd right now? David's saying, the Lord is my shepherd. Who's your shepherd? What's guiding you? What's the framework through which you make decisions? Right? Are you your own shepherd? Is someone else your shepherd? A, a figure, a charismatic figure who you want to please is your shepherd? Someone who you want to prove something to? Is that your shepherd? Is comfort your shepherd? Is finding ease your shepherd? I love how one pastor put it. He said, you know, we long for rest. We long for the green pastures, for the still waters, and we're not going to get there from another Netflix show. And we're not going to get there from just taking a vacation. We're going to get there from listening to the voice of our shepherd. That's how we get to green pastures. That's how we get to still waters, is listening to the voice of our shepherd. Can, can, I, uh, can I bear witness for a minute here to God being my shepherd? Just This is my own story and in, in my own relationship individually with God. Um, I just want to tell you a, a recent story. And, uh, you know, you all know I was on sabbatical for three months. Just a month ago uh, is when I got back. And um, I came into sabbatical. And as soon as I started reflecting, I'm like, how am I actually doing? What's going on for me eternal, internally? I, I began to feel like, you know, I'm looking back at the last nine and a half years of full-time ministry and God has done some incredible things in that time. God's done some really incredible things recently. But I feel like when I, when, I, when I look at God directly leading me, when I look at God directly providing for me, when I look at God doing some of those miraculous things that we see in the scriptures, I feel like I've got stories there. I have memories of him doing that, but it feels like they're all from six years ago. Or seven years ago, sure, some from the last bit of years, but it feels like it was back then that the more of those stories were coming out. It doesn't feel as much like God is my shepherd right now. That's just, I was recognizing where I was at, and I happened to tell God, you know, God, I really actually like those stories. I'd actually really like to have another one. I'd really like for you to provide again in a way that I see you are my shepherd, that you are leading me, that you are guiding me. I was just bringing where I actually was to the Lord. And um, one of the things that I was on a walk in Kentucky, and on this about an hour-long walk, I was, I was walking in the midst of this beautiful forest down a hill, and I felt like I just heard the words from God, stable and sending. I just felt like I heard God calling me to be a stable and sending person, to trust him for a stable and sending church to have our family be stable and sending. And I just I felt, it felt like the Lord. And immediately after hearing that, I was like, God, you know, you know what I want with this. Right? You, you know that so much, if we're going to have a stable and sending church in the heart of Chicago, if our family's going to be here long term, I'd really like a home. I'd really like a home where we can raise our kids. I'd really like a home where we can actually bless the neighborhood, where we can be stable and we can send out from there. And so kind of the... The last third of sabbatical also became that part of sabbatical where I looked up every information about realtors and homes in uh, specifically Little Italy here nearby the West Loop. 
And um, the numbers were looking hard and difficult, but possible because, you know, COVID has done a lot of weird things, uh, but interest rates are definitely lower right now. And so we began to prep for it. I called a realtor. We got a realtor. I, uh, I, I began to look at homes and see all the home prices over the last year. And, um, you know, once we actually looked at our first home for Sarah and I, we realized, wow, that's really expensive to be nearby the West Loop. Not that that was surprising, but also, um, you know, we have a few kids, and we even like the Lord to give us more kids. And this home that is really expensive also has bedrooms that literally can't even really fit our kids right now. And so it just began to be, Lord, Lord, I, I know I don't need, I know I don't deserve to buy a home, but Lord, if you're calling me to be stable and sending, can you do that? Right? And so... Uh, so after we looked at a home and it was just feeling unrealistic, on January 30th, the day before uh, uh, our Generosity Sunday, Sarah and I remembered that it was Generosity Sunday coming up here. And although we weren't present, we, uh, we decided that we would actually look at the digital commitment card and think about giving to the church. And so I have a love-hate relationship with Generosity Sunday. I don't know about you, but I certainly have a love-hate relationship with it. Um, and I, I opened up that commitment card and I began to pray through it. And sure enough, a number of generosity came to mind. And that was the moment I hated when that number became clear. And I told it to Sarah, and Sarah was actually great with even going higher than that number. And that's another thing. And I, um, I, I then, I was like, okay, Lord, I don't know how to provide a home for me, but I know it's not about me living my own life and figuring it out, because there's a lot of things I don't know how to do to be stable and sending and raising up a stable and sending church here. You got to do this, Lord, so I'm just going to trust you. We ended up submitting that. The next day, I got a text from Elliot Stelsel, who many of you know, a former member of our church. And he texted me for the first time individually in two months. And he texted me this at 8.34 p.m. Praying for the Lord to work his miracle even this week and to provide you guys with a house in Chicago where you can raise your family and bless others. I know he can do it. Prayer emoji. I got that text and I was like, oh, Elliot. And it both was like, man, I don't want to get my hopes up. I don't want to be disappointed again. But also it felt like a mustard seed of faith of, okay, Lord, if you do it even this week, even this week, can you provide a home? The next day at 2.47 p.m., I got an email from Zillow on a new listing, 1244 West Westgate Terrace that happened to be exactly in the price range that was allowed with our new generosity commitment. And um, we uh, called the realtor the next morning. We got in there, and we saw the bedrooms were big enough to have lots of kids in there. That night, we put in an offer, and that night, it was accepted. And two days ago, we closed on that home. And uh, yesterday, we were in the house painting, Thank you for everyone who painted with us. And I was, um, I was walking out of the house and I looked and there were just all these little kids running around. Like all of the neighbors seemed to have kids, little kids. And I walked out and there was uh, a neighbor a couple doors down and they walked out and they actually looked at me and said, um, Nate Beasley? It turned out that he's a member at Emmanuel Baptist Church. His wife and I went to grade school together. And uh, she had been a member at Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton. 
There's four families who live in that complex who are Christians and go to really great churches. And they were as excited as we were to learn that we were moving in. And I, I biked from that house to, to our Bridgeport service yesterday, going to prepare a sermon on God being my shepherd. I just lost it in tears, which was kind of dangerous while biking. Because at the end of the day, praise the Lord for that provision. But praise the Lord that he hears my prayers, that he actually cares about me, that he cares for my needs, that he cares for Sarah, that he cares for my kids, that he's the one, if he's calling us to be stable and sending, he's the one who's going to shepherd us and lead us. And yes, he will sometimes ask us to do things that I don't like to do. But he leads us by still waters. He leads us by green pastures. Amen. The Lord is your shepherd. There is no thing that he finds too small to care about. He cares about you. He cares about you individually and intimately. But this psalm is also realistic. It continues. Because the Christian life is not only looking at abundant provisions with joy. Right, but it's a life of incredible pain, of perplexing situations. David says, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and then he boasts again. He's saying, even in the perplexing situations, even when I don't understand what's going on, even in death itself, I won't be afraid. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What's David boasting about? He's not actually boasting about God bringing him out of the valley of the shadow of death. I was listening to someone this week talk about how he loves that revival of the three men in the furnace. Right? We know, we know the story, right? The, the time in the book of Daniel when there's three men who are actually thrown into a fiery furnace. Right? If, if you're one of those three men who's thrown into the fiery furnace, what are you asking God at that moment? You're saying, please get me out of here, God. Please, please deliver me. And, and do you notice that actually when you read that passage that God actually never takes any of them out of the fiery furnace? It's actually the king who ends up recognizing, i got to take these guys out. God actually never took them out of the fiery furnace. What did God do? Well, he brought them revival in the furnace. What did he do? Well, he actually came and joined them, a fourth man in that fire with them. And that is so illustrative, you know what I'm going for, illustrative of what God does when we go through perplexing situations or great valleys of the shadow of death is he doesn't necessarily take us out of it, but he says, get me in it with you. I want to be with you. Jesus, Emmanuel, literally meaning God with us. This is the character of the God who left his throne in heaven to be with us. The God who suffers with us. Where is God in the valley of the shadow of death saying, I want to be with you? Right, right. Remember when you were kids? I remember when I was a kid and I would be afraid going to bed at night. I would have some nightmare that, that was coming over my mind or I couldn't get scary thoughts away. 
I, I, would, I would go, I would get out of my bed, I would open my door, I would knock on my parents' bedroom, it's so fun, hi mom and dad, you're right here right now, and I would, I would just ask, hey, can you come and be with me? And I remember a couple memories of just when my mom or my dad would come in to my bedroom and they would just lay on my bed right next to me. And it's not that those scary thoughts were taken away, it's just that my parents were there. I wasn't alone. What is it that our shepherd offers us? What, what is it that God is offering you right now in whatever situation you're in? I'll be with you. I'll be with you. David continues. He also speaks about, what does my shepherd do when I'm surrounded by enemies? It's, um, enemies is not a word that we, you know, typically would use. It feels a little harsh. We don't like, you know, necessarily using that word enemies all the time. It's kind of a little bit us versus them. But you can understand why David would use it if you look at the life of David, because he's literally got armies of people sometimes trying to kill him. He's got people who are trying to assassinate him. He's got his own son who actually dethrones him and tries to take over his kingdom. David had some enemies, for sure. But when we think about enemies, we actually know this feeling really well, right? We, we know who are those in your life you just have difficult relationships with. Right? You leave being with them and you are emotionally exhausted. Right? Your enemies are the people who you feel like, man, I feel like they're speaking bad about me behind my back. Or I feel like they're happy to see me fail. I feel like they've been harsh with me. Or I, feel like, I just feel like they're against me. And, and if we're honest, when we actually think about our enemies, um, oftentimes, of course, they're more perceived enemies than real enemies, right? Like, sometimes we've, we're really good at that paranoia thing where we turn off a, a Zoom call with six people, and uh, we're sure that everyone else is texting each other right now talking about that dumb thing I just said. Right? When in reality, a lot of the times, everyone else is just as self-conscious as we are leaving that call. Or you walk into the office and your coworker is cold to you as you walk by him. And you wonder, what, what was that about? And it turns out he just ate something bad for breakfast. Right? We're really good at perceiving enemies even when they're not real. But our temptation when we're struggling in different relationships is just to think about those relationships, to obsess about them. Right? When it feels like people are against us, or even if we just feel like they don't like us very much, it can gnaw at us. And what is it that our shepherd offers us? Like, what, what is it that our shepherd offers us in those moments? As he says this, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Let's just say I'm in the middle of the room and let's just say that this table is here. He says, okay, I'm going to prepare a table for you and I want you to sit down with me in the presence of your enemies. What I'm inviting you to do is I'm inviting you to sit with me, to eat with me, to be with me. I'm not your enemy. I'm for you. I want to be with you right now. You're all right. That's really good news. Like that's actually incredibly practical for me. That when I'm so concerned about different relationships and so concerned about all the things going on around there, surrounded by all those thoughts, Jesus is inviting me to one thing. And that's just to be with him. To be with him at his table. 
and just to talk again with my shepherd who is for me. Amen? He says, in the presence of your enemies, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm preparing a table before you, and I'm also going to anoint your head with oil. Your cup's going to overflow, right? That's an ancient custom of actually anointing for ministry, of anointing for a specific work. Not only, you're, you're, when you're in the presence of your enemies, you don't know what to do. I'm actually, I'm going to be with you and you're going to be all right because you've got me. If everyone else is against you, I am for you. You still have me. But even so, I'm also going to fill your head with oil abundant. Your cup's going to be overflowing because I'm the one who guides you in right living. I'm the one who leads you in righteousness, and I will actually empower you to love your enemies. I will empower you to pray for those who persecute you. I'm going to give you my power to do that. Amen? Right? Who is the shepherd? Who is the shepherd who leads us, who guides us, who provides for us? Who is the shepherd who is with us in the valley of the shadow of death? Who is the shepherd who prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies, who anoints our head with oil? Well, David continues saying, well, he's also the shepherd who goes behind you. David says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And when Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd, right? We know surely goodness and mercy have a name. That Jesus is the one who actually follows after us, who hems us in, who protects us. So when we look over our shoulders in fear, what do we see as a Christian? Is we see the shepherd staff of Jesus going behind us and protecting us and covering us. He's behind us, but he's also before us. For I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. John 14, Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Right? Jesus goes before us. He's behind us. He is with us in our valley. He's preparing a table before us when we're surrounded by enemies. Christ behind me. Christ ahead of me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. My shepherd surrounds me. My shepherd is my all in my life. My shepherd intimately knows me and intimately protects me. Do you know this shepherd? Do you know this one who individually wants to care for you in all of these ways. Lord, would you, would you draw us closer to you? Just cry that out, Lord, would you lead me so I can follow you? Lord, you're with me in this valley. Lord, you're inviting me to be with you in the midst of my difficult relationships. Lord, you're going before me to prepare a place for, for me. And God, I do ask right now, I just ask that you would speak to us. And would you show us that new place where we can claim again that individual care, that individual love that you have for us as a shepherd. And Lord, for those of us this morning who just don't feel it, who don't feel like you're this close, who don't feel like we can boast about it, who don't feel like we have a story, a witness to show your goodness, we just say, we want it, God. We want to be that intimate with you. We want to see you provide. We want to see you be near to us in trouble. We want to see you prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. We want to see your glory on that day to come. Lord, would you show your, your presence? We ask this in the name of our good shepherd, Jesus. Amen.